Well, it's a real privilege to be able to share God's Word with you again today. And as we begin our week of prayer, I thought it would be good for us to have a look at a passage of Scripture from Luke's Gospel, uh, Luke chapter 10, and reading verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And this is God's word. This morning, I would like to spend some time looking at a very simple and yet vitally important principle that we find in this passage. And the principle is this, be before you do. Be before you do. In these verses, I believe that we see the importance of being with Jesus before we attempt to do things for Jesus. There's a contrast in these verses, isn't there, between Martha on the one hand who is doing things for Jesus and Mary, on the other hand, who is being with Jesus. And actually, both of those are important. Luke places this story very carefully in his Gospel. In the verses just before this account, we have a description of the mission trip by the 72 disciples who go out and do things in Jesus' name. And then we have Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. In other words, love in action. And then in the verses right after this account, we have Jesus' teaching on prayer, and in particular, his giving the disciples the Lord's Prayer. In other words, quietly sitting before God. So both doing things for Jesus and being with Jesus are important. And then we have this story of Martha and Mary in the middle that examines the relationship between doing and being. So let's have a look firstly at Martha, doing things for Jesus. But in fact, before we even get to doing things for Jesus, we should also notice a subheading here, which is Martha's busyness. Luke tells us in verse 40 that Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. The word distracted is a very interesting Greek word. It's the word perispeomai, which is a combination of two words, uh, the word speomai, which means to be pulled, and the word peri, which means from around. So literally it means to be pulled from all directions. And any of you ladies or gentlemen who've ever had to prepare a huge meal for a group of people will know exactly how this feels. I heard about a lady who invited a number of guests to her house for a meal, and before the meal, her husband asked their little girl, aged five, to say grace. And the little girl said to her dad, what should I pray? And her father replied, 
just pray what you've heard mum pray. And so the little girl bowed her head and prayed, Oh Lord, why did I ask so many people for dinner today? How many of us can identify with Martha's experience this morning of being pulled in all directions? If you have a conversation with just about anyone these days and you ask them how things are going, the answer that you are most likely to get is, I'm well, thank you, just busy. Our entire society is busy. High school students are busy. University students are busy. Working moms are busy. Even retired people are busy. Uh, most retirees that I speak to today tell me that they are busier now than they ever were when they were working. We wear busyness as a badge of honour. In fact, if you're not busy, we think that there is clearly something wrong with you. But actually, busyness is a very big problem. Busyness is one of the greatest enemies of spiritual formation, of us becoming like Jesus. John Mark Comer is the founding pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, in the United States. His whole church is built around the idea of practicing the way of Jesus together. In fact, he started a non-profit organization called Practicing the Way. Comer says that his life's vision is to be with Jesus, becoming like him, and doing what Jesus would do if he were in John Mark Comer's place. I highly recommend his books and podcasts and YouTube videos. But John Mark Comer has done a great deal of work on looking at how busyness distracts us from being like Jesus. And let me give you a few thoughts from his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World. Just a few thoughts to get us thinking and realizing how big the problem of busyness and distraction is. He says, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. For many of us, the great danger is not that, the, that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. What would you say is one of the biggest distractions in our lives? Well, probably our cell phones. A recent study found that the average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. Uh, I'm okay because I'm with Samsung. Each, each user is on his or her phone for two and a half hours over 76 sessions. If you're a young adult or a teenager, it's probably twice as much as that. Two and a half hours. If you spend just one of those hours reading the Bible, you could get through the entire Bible in six months. Psychologists now believe that many people's relationship to their phones falls at least under the category of compulsion. We have to check that last WhatsApp message or click on Facebook or Instagram or open that email. But most of us are past that to full-on addiction. 
Addiction is the relentless pull to a substance or an activity that becomes so compulsive it ultimately interferes with everyday life. And if you're not sure that this is you, just switch your cell phone off for 24 hours and see if you can survive. I'm actually not quite sure where my cell phone is right now. I'm a bit worried. I think it's over there. And having the internet in our pockets and living in such a fast-paced world has led to our attention spans decreasing. In the year 2000, before the digital revolution, the average human attention span was 12 seconds. Today, the average attention span is 8 seconds. Just to put that in perspective, a goldfish has an attention span of 9 seconds, so we're losing to goldfish. This distraction means that there is a great danger that we will, as William Irvine puts it, mislive. That when we are on our deathbed, we will look back and realize that we wasted our one chance at living. Instead of spending our lives pursuing something genuinely valuable, we squandered it because we allowed ourselves to be distracted by the various baubles life has to offer. And then just one last sobering quotation from John Mark Comer. He says, In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. What you give your attention to is the person you become. That bodes well for those apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good, beautiful, and true in this world, but not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama, or the non-stop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation, and cultural drivel as if we give our attention in the first place. Much of it is stolen by a clever algorithm out to make money out of our precious attention. But again, we become what we give our attention to, for better or worse. So busyness is not a virtue to be applauded. It is a dangerous enemy that seeks to prevent us from being the person God intended us to be. And we need to find countercultural ways to slow down, which we'll look at in a moment. But let's move on from Martha's general busyness and have a look more specifically at her doing things for Jesus. Look at verse 40 again. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. The word preparations here is the Greek word diakonia, which means tasks. And some of you will recognize its relation to the word diakonos, deacon, which means servant, minister. So Martha is engaged in ministry, in service. In a very literal way, she is serving Jesus, doing things for Jesus. But notice what happens when service doing things for Jesus, gets separated from stillness, being with Jesus. Verse 40, Martha came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I find Martha's posture and actions and attitude here very interesting. Jesus is sat down and Martha comes and stands above him. 
Jesus is teaching, but now Martha comes and attempts to teach Jesus. Mary is listening, but Martha gives Jesus instructions. Tell her to help me. I find myself very uncomfortable when people in prayer begin telling God what to do. We all do this to a certain extent in prayer. We often tell God what we think he should do. But there is a definite trend within the Christian church at the moment for people to be making demands of God and commanding him to do things, even commanding things themselves in his name. And that is concerning if there is a disconnect between being with God and doing things for God. And as in the case of Martha, telling God what to do may even be a symptom of that disconnect. In my own life, I've had periods where my doing things for Jesus far outweighed my being with Jesus. In fact, I was doing so much for Jesus that I just didn't actually have time to be with him. There was a stage where I was preaching two sermons every Sunday and preparing a weekly Bible study, sometimes more, sending out a weekly email newsletter. I was so busy that I skimped on my devotions or skipped them altogether. I figured that I was reading the Bible, but I didn't realize that I was reading it to prepare sermons and Bible studies for others. I wasn't reading it just for myself. I wasn't spending time alone with Jesus. I certainly wasn't enjoying him just for himself. And that kind of ongoing Christian busyness eventually becomes a burden. You begin to resent people and resent their demands on you. You don't have time for deep relationships. You become resentful even towards God and you try and seek relief in ways that are unhealthy. Because you aren't turning to God to find your sense of worth and validation, you get your sense of worth from your work, and then it's just a downward cycle. You have to work harder to feel a sense of worth, which means you have less time to find a true sense of worth with God, which means you then have to work harder, and, and so on. I'm glad I'm not alone. Trevor Hudson is a well-known Methodist pastor who recalls how once during a frenetic period in his own life, he wrote in his diary, my work for God is stopping God's work in me. And having written those words, he put his head on his desk and he wept. My work for God is stopping God's work in me. But in contrast to Martha and her general busyness and more specific doing things for Jesus, let's have a look at Mary and her simply being with Jesus. Luke tells us in verse 39 that Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. That phrase, sat at the Lord's feet, is particularly interesting because that was a technical term for discipleship in those days. In the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is telling the crowd his life story, and when it comes to his education, he says, I received my training at the feet of Gamaliel, a respected rabbi of the time. To sit at the feet of a rabbi meant that you were one of his disciples, Jewish rabbis would sit and their disciples literally would sit at their feet. But sitting at the feet of someone meant a lot more than just receiving lectures. To sit at your rabbi's feet meant that you were with him 
24 hours a day learning to be like him. And of course, in those days, discipleship was only for males. No rabbi would ever teach a woman, except the rabbi Jesus, of course. Mary is sat at the feet of Jesus. She places herself in the position of one of his disciples, being with Jesus, learning to be like him. Now, there are lots of Marys in the New Testament, so it can get a little bit confusing. But this Mary, Mary of Bethany, is only mentioned three times in the New Testament. She is often confused with Mary Magdalene and also with an anonymous sinful woman who anointed Jesus with perfume uh, for reasons that we will see in a moment. Uh, both Mary and this lady anoint Jesus' feet, and so sometimes she's confused. But this Mary, Mary of Bethany, is only mentioned three times in the New Testament. And it's fascinating and humbling and challenging to note that every time we meet Mary in the Gospels, we find her at the feet of Jesus. Here in Luke 10, we find her sat at the feet of Jesus listening. We meet her again in John chapter 11 when her brother Lazarus dies. And John tells us that when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And then again in John chapter 12, we read how Jesus makes a third visit to this home, six days before the Passover. In other words, just a week before his death on the cross. And again, we find Mary at the feet of Jesus. Uh, let me read the account to you because it's a beautiful passage. And I think it reflects something more of what it means to sit at Jesus' feet. John tells us six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, <laughs> so not much has changed, although at least this time we don't read about her being pulled in all different directions or standing over Jesus and telling him what to do. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume worth a year's salary. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Whenever we meet Mary, she is sat at Jesus' feet, this time pouring out her love and gratitude. Sitting at the feet of Jesus implies readiness to accept and obey what Jesus teaches. It implies submission to Jesus. To sit at the feet of Jesus implies faith in who Jesus is. It implies discipleship. It implies love. To sit at Jesus' feet implies listening. It implies enjoyment of Jesus' company. As one writer puts it, Mary sits at the feet of Jesus listening to him. She is focused on being with Jesus, enjoying communion with him, loving him. She is attentive, open, taking pleasure in his presence. She's engaged in a slowed-down spirituality that prioritizes being with Jesus over doing for Jesus. She slowed down enough to focus on Jesus and to center her life on him. 
Mary loves Jesus. She's particularly grateful for the fact that he has raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. And how much more eternally grateful can't we be for the fact that Jesus laid down his life and was raised from the dead for us. We've had a look at doing things for Jesus and being with Jesus. And now let's have a quick look at the relationship between doing and being, which I've alluded to already, really, but which is seen in Jesus' response to Martha in verses 41 and 42. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus' tender response to Martha, 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 shows that her act of doing things for Jesus is not wrong. As I said earlier, both doing and being are important and are taught in Scripture. I think, though, that the key to healthy spirituality is found in the correct relationship between the two. Mary has chosen what is better. In terms of priority and importance, being with Jesus comes first. Be before you do. Doing things for Jesus must always flow out of being with Jesus. Our being with Jesus sustains a healthy doing for Jesus. I think that all of this has at least three applications to us today. Firstly, it applies to our life together as the classic congregation. We need to be before we do. We need to spend time being with Jesus before we attempt to do things for Jesus. And this is why our week of prayer is so important. Uh, before we do anything for Jesus as a congregation, we want to spend some time being with Jesus, enjoying his presence, focusing on him, listening to him through his word. It was quite ironic, really, last week and even over this weekend, I began to be a little bit panicky, thinking, you know, I've got so much to do for this week of prayer, there's, there's things I should plan and, and prioritize. And then I just realized, no, we're just going to come and sit in the church and pray. It's going to be cut right down. Just simple sitting in Jesus's presence, enjoying him and seeking his face. This is why our Friday prayer meetings are so important too. It's a great privilege before the busyness of the weekend begins to spend some time in God's presence. We want to make sure that our being with God sustains our doing for God. Secondly, this has application to our Christian service or to Christian ministry. The word ministry actually means servant, uh, service. rather. Um, it doesn't sound as impressive. If you say to someone, would you rather be a minister or rather be a servant, you'd, you'd probably choose minister, but it's the same word. Ministry is service. Minister is a servant. I shared a little bit of my own pastoral story with you a few moments ago, and some of you will know that I took a four-year break from being a pastor while Michelle completed her specialization in psychiatry here in Cape Town. 
And the week that she graduated was the same week that Pinemans Baptist Church called me to be an associate pastor. And I think I've done a bit better the second time around. But again, it's so easy to fall into the trap of doing rather than being. A couple of years ago, I realized that while I was taking a day off on a Monday, I wasn't actually having a Sabbath. I was using Mondays as time off to do all of the administrative things that I wasn't doing during the week and also just to goof off, go to the beach, read books, watch far too many movies. And so over the last couple of years, I've begun to develop a Sabbath, a time where I meet with God. I try to spend some extended time on a Monday in quietness and stillness and in reading and in prayer. I've still got quite a long way to go. I know of pastors who spend from sunset on Friday evening to sunset on Saturday evening, focusing their attention on God. And they have rituals with their families where they have a special meal together on the Friday night and then where they go for walks together, spend some time reading the Bible on the Saturday. I spend some time with other families. I, I really wish that I'd done that with my own family. But this is one rhythm that I'm working on. And there are others that I'd like to try and add as well. I want you to know that as a pastor, I'm wanting more and more to prioritize being with God above doing things for God. I came across a little phrase a couple of years ago that helped put things into perspective for me. The writer said, doing less with God is still more than I can do by myself. Another writer puts it this way. When we disciple or lead others, we essentially give away who we are, specifically who we are in God. We give who we are on the inside. We give our presence we give our journey with Jesus. This means that we can give away only what we possess, which is the life with Jesus we actually live each day. How could it be any other way? And so I want to encourage you, whether you're a worship leader, whether you set out the mics on a Sunday morning, whether you battle with the computer at the back, to spend time being with Jesus before doing for Jesus. And then thirdly, the concept of be before you do applies to all of us as Christ followers. If we are disciples of Jesus, then we will want to do what he did. And we don't have time to look at all of the instances, but the gospel writers are at pains to point out that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 5 verse 16 there was a quiet center to Jesus' life with his father that sustained his work for his father. And although Jesus only had three and a half years to save the world, we find him to be the least hurried or hassled or stressed person ever, even given all of the interruptions. Jesus had a quiet center, a time with his father that allowed him then to do things for his father. What would it look like for you and me to sit at the feet of Jesus, to prioritize being with Jesus, and so living out a life of purpose and meaning that is a blessing to others and brings a smile to the face of God? 
Well, I think it involves learning what Eugene Peterson calls the unforced, perhaps unhurried, rhythms of grace. You're actually practicing one of those rhythms right now, uh, coming along to church for an hour each week to meet with Jesus through his word, through his people, through singing and worship and prayer. Uh, for most believers, that is one of the rhythms of their spiritual life. Another rhythm for many is a daily quiet time, setting aside some time at the beginning of the day to read God's word and pray. There are other rhythms that you could add too, perhaps taking a day or half a day once a month to consciously go out and spend that time in the presence of Jesus. That need not necessarily include Bible reading and prayer. It's possible to go for a walk with Jesus and seek to simply practice his presence. Perhaps instead of having just one quiet time at the beginning of the day, you could have a short time of devotion at midday and another just before you go to sleep. There are things like reading Christian books, listening to worship music, keeping a spiritual journal. These things can become dry, repetitive routines. They can become ways in which we try to gain favor with God or to twist his arm to do the things we want him to do for us. But that's not what they're intended for. These unhurried rhythms of grace are to our relationship with God what date nights are to our relationship with our marriage partner. They are opportunities to connect, opportunities for us to sit at the feet of Jesus, opportunities for us to make him the center of our lives. As a child, I really loved the story of Martha and Mary and of how Jesus appears to commend Mary the idea that just sitting back and visiting with our guests uh, was better than having to get up and do the dishes after Sunday lunch really appealed to me. But remember again as we close that it's not Mary who is right and Martha who is wrong. Both are necessary. We need to be working for God. We need to be reminding ourselves that every area of our lives needs to be lived out before God. And we need a quiet centre to our lives where every day and throughout the day we sit at the feet of Jesus. Because our being with Jesus is what sustains our doing for Jesus in ways that are healthy and biblical and bring glory to God and extend his kingdom. May we pray together.